So we are very glad uh, that you were able to join us this morning on our live stream as uh, we haven't been able to gather for the past few weeks due to the coronavirus. Uh, I will have some more announcements uh, at the end of the message and also be, do, be doing more of a fuller prayer just for our congregation um, and also just for our world, for our government, for all the things that are going on right now. We'll be praying for those uh, after the message. But as we move into this morning's message uh, from God's Word, I'd like you to consider the last words of someone about to die. The last words of someone about to die. Someone's dying words can be significant. The words of someone dying can be impactful, and they really can tell you a lot about what that person valued. They might speak of their care for those that they love. They might impart great wisdom to those who are going to continue on living. Possibly you have either sat with a loved one while they were dying and heard their final words, or maybe in the days leading up to their death, they, they talked with you, and you got to hear some of their last words. We can think of movies in which the characters die, and they speak their last words, which are moving, and they're meaningful for the story being told. You may even consider what you want your last words uh, to be, if you could say right now. Either way, someone's dying words can be significant. In the scriptures, we have been left with Jesus' dying words as he hung on the cross just hours and even moments before he died. He spoke. He spoke on the cross. God has recorded seven sayings that Jesus spoke on the cross, seven sayings that are significant. And I'll read them in order here uh, as they're believed to have been said. Luke 23, 43 says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Luke 23, 43 is the words of Jesus to the criminal on the cross that believed. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The third of these sayings is John 19, 26 through 27, and I'll read some context so they make sense. Jesus, it says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the, the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. The fourth of these sayings actually comes from the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. Matthew 27, 46 and Mark 15, 34 records the same statement, which says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? John 19, 28, Jesus said, I thirst. The sixth of these sayings, John 19, 30, it is finished. And the last... Luke 23, 46, the seventh saying of Jesus on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So each of these is significant. Each of these is impactful and can teach us great lessons. Each of these sayings of Jesus on the cross really could be turned into their own sermons, and we could, we could take a sermon for each of these sayings and expound the truths that can be learned from Jesus' words. You may remember, uh, sometimes on Good Friday, which is happening this upcoming Friday, uh, we usually have a Good Friday service, and sometimes the series is for the men who come to preach, the pastors who come to preach. They actually are given one of these sayings, and they preach it to us and tell us what it means. This morning, what I'd like to do is do something different, as usually Jesus' death is handled on Good Friday. As you know, we had to cancel our Good Friday services due to the coronavirus, so I thought it'd be appropriate um, to consider Jesus' death today as we approach 
Easter Sunday. Today being the day we celebrate Palm Sunday, we usually look at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where he would eventually die. This morning I have chosen to focus our attention rather on Jesus' death, to prepare our minds as we go into Passion Week. My prayer is that this message is used by God in your lives to help you to meditate and to contemplate Jesus' death on the cross. This morning I intend to just tackle one of these sayings of Jesus as he hung on the cross. And my prayer is that this will lead you maybe this week to consider the other six sayings, uh, to consider what they mean, to consider what they mean for your life, even how you can live more faithfully to God because of this saying. The statement that I'd like to consider this morning is that of, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is often seen as the fourth statement said by Jesus. As I said, it's recorded in Matthew and Mark, and this is actually the only saying of Jesus on the cross that is recorded in these Gospels of Matthew and Mark. So let us consider this morning the saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let us consider what Jesus meant by this, and further, what it means for us. So our theme for this morning is, in considering Jesus' fourth saying on the cross, we will consider both its meaning and its implications. Again, in considering Jesus' fourth saying on the cross, we will consider both its meaning and its implications. In other words, what I mean by this is we're going to look at what Jesus meant when he declared this on the cross. And we're going to actually spend a a lot of time thinking about this, as this is a somewhat of a difficult saying to consider what does it mean when he says this. But secondly, we're going to consider the application. What does this mean for our lives? What can I learn from this to live a life that is more pleasing, a life that is more honoring to God? So first, as I said, we'll consider what did Jesus mean when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In considering the meaning, we'll look first at the context. And by the context, what I mean is we're going to look at what happens before and after Jesus says this in the gospel accounts. Secondly, we'll consider just kind of a surface-level meaning, considering some of the words uh, in this saying. Then we'll consider if we, we should be surprised by this saying, and then we'll look at this saying's origin. So we'll look at four things as we consider the meaning. And then by the end, we'll be able to put together all of these things that we've seen to hopefully uh, come out what Jesus was really saying when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? possibly to help you understand how we're going to do this, Um, to be able to to understand this saying exactly, think about a puzzle, all right? And we're going to take these things. We're going to take the context. We're going to take the surface level meaning. We're going to take if this should should surprise us. And then fourthly, we'll we'll take the origin and consider them as all being pieces to a puzzle. And we're going to seek to put them together when we come to this fifth point in considering the meaning. And hopefully we have a clear picture of what Jesus is saying. Just like when you finish a puzzle, you have a clear and even a beautiful picture before you, laid out before you on the table where you put this puzzle together. And that is what I hope we see here at the end in considering this in the meaning of this saying, a clear and even beautiful picture portrayed from this saying of Jesus, my God, my God, 
why have you forsaken me? So in considering the meaning of Jesus' saying, we'll first look at the context. We'll look at the Gospel of Mark specifically as we consider this saying. This saying is found in the context of Mark chapter 15, verses 33 through 37. And I'd invite you to turn there. Uh, The scripture will be on the screen as well. But if you have your Bibles handy, feel free to turn there as that will be our main text uh, for this morning. And specifically, we'll be looking at verse 34, but we'll be taking this whole context. And as I said, the scripture will be on the screen. But before we look at the context, I want us to think about what even happens before we get to this passage. And many of you are familiar with it, I believe. But just to maybe just to think about all that Jesus is going through, the, the emotion, the, the suffering that he's going through as he gets up to uh, this point in his life that this passage portrays. The context is that Jesus was betrayed by one of those closest to him. He was handed over to the Jewish authorities by his disciple Judas. And after that, he was left by all of his disciples. Those who were closest to him in life abandoned him. He was taken and put on trial. He was mocked. He was insulted. He was spit upon. He was tortured and beaten. He was absolutely humiliated. And then when we come to our passage, he had been hanging on the cross for three hours. He had been hanging on this cross suffering for three hours. So when we come to Mark 15, 33, we find it is noon. It is 12 p.m. and darkness falls upon the earth till 3 p.m., the time when it is supposed to be the lightest. As Mark 15, 33 says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So the sixth hour, again, as I said, is, is 12 p.m. It's noon. In the ninth hour is 3 p.m. Then at 3 p.m. we have recorded Jesus' saying that we are focusing on this morning. But first we see it's given to us in a different language. As Mark 15, 34 reads, And at the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, Aloy, Aloy, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we may wonder, what's up with the different language? This language in answer is is Aramaic. It is believed that the original language is carried over and then translated to show the significance of such a saying by Jesus. Those around Jesus, as we move on in the passage, those around Jesus were confused. And they mistook Jesus calling out to God for the name Elijah. As these two names, God and Elijah, in their original language, as they're spoken and written, were very similar, as it says in Mark 15, 35 through 36. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And the simple point I want to make here is not spending much time on it, but the simple point I want to make is that by them focusing on Elijah, they completely miss the point point that's being made here by Jesus, or the point that they could have learned, the significance, the importance that could have been learned from Jesus' saying. But they, they were confused. They were focused on Elijah. Finally, Jesus cries out and dies on the cross. Mark 15, 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. So we have Jesus dying on the cross. One more point of context that I'd like you to just uh, consider as we move on 
is to consider the purpose of why Jesus is suffering and dying. And I don't have this scripture up on the screen, but Mark 10, 45, Jesus states this. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what we just read in the context of Mark 15, 33 through 37, we get the meaning. Jesus had stated it before, earlier in his ministry. He had stated that he was on that cross not because he was being delivered by men. It, the men weren't in control of his death. He was giving himself. He was in control, and he ultimately was giving himself as a sacrifice to take on the punishment and the penalty for his people's sin. So that's the context of Jesus' fourth saying on the cross. Next, in considering the meaning of Jesus' saying, we will look second at a surface-level meaning or surface-level understanding of his words. We'll look first at the word forsaken. As you see, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This word forsaken is a, in our text is a strong word. It's a word that speaks of abandonment or desertion or even being left alone without help. Again, you don't have to turn there, and it's not on the screen, but in, in 2 Timothy 4, 10 and verse 16, Paul uses this same word in the New Testament, as it says in 2 Timothy 4, 10 and verse 16, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Same word is in our saying. And gone to Thessalonica, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. And at first, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Same word there. May it not be charged against them. So in this text, we see Paul's using the same word, but he, it's translated for us uh, as deserted. This is a statement of so much emotion. By Jesus speaking of him being forsaken. We see this additionally when it says, before this saying, as we already read in Mark 15, 34, it said, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. He did not whisper, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't just say it in a calm voice, but he said it with intensity. He yelled and proclaimed this abandonment. It wasn't just a whisper. He wasn't just saying it, but this was a saying of deep emotion. It's also important to draw attention to who. Jesus says he has been forsaken or abandoned by who? Look back again at, at our saying. Jesus says, my God, my God. Jesus is claiming to be abandoned by God on the cross. In the midst of his suffering and agony, physically, emotionally, spiritual agony, Jesus is claiming to be separated from God, his Father. It's not his disciples whom he's saying has, have forsook him. Even though they had, we had read earlier in the Gospels that they had uh, deserted him. They had left him. But here Jesus is focusing on one. God has left him. So in considering this fourth saying of Jesus on the cross, on somewhat of a surface level, we are left to wonder what is going on here. Has God really abandoned Jesus? Is this just a feeling or emotion of abandonment for Jesus towards God? Is Jesus showing a lack of faith here on the cross? These things we'll consider as we continue to put these pieces together to understand the meaning 
of what Jesus is saying. Third, in considering the meaning of Jesus' saying, we'll look at if this saying should surprise us. And what I mean by this is that in one sense, it shouldn't surprise us at all. Jesus' saying shouldn't surprise us as we consider what he had gone through up to this point. He had been betrayed. He had been left by those closest to him. He had been mocked, insulted, tortured, and now he's hanging on this cross. With all that Jesus is going through, put yourself in his shoes. You bet you'd say this, and probably so much more. So this isn't surprising when we consider what has happened to Jesus. But what if we consider who Jesus was. So in another sense, why I ask if this should surprise us is that in another sense, we should be absolutely shocked that such a saying would come from the mouth of Jesus. When we think about who Jesus is, Jesus is God. Further, with the Father and the Spirit, they are one God. Jesus has a very close and intimate relationship with both the Father and the Spirit, as can be seen in the Gospels. So Jesus' words to God the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Should really shock us when we consider their relationship. When we consider the relationship between the Son and the Father. When we consider who Jesus is and his part in the Godhead. This is absolutely unbelievable, incomprehensible. When we think of Jesus and God being separated, how is this possible? We're left to go a bit deeper. Next, we need to consider the origin of Jesus' saying, and you may not have realized it, but this saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is actually not original with Jesus. He's not the first to say it. So fourth, in considering the meaning of Jesus' saying, we'll think about who, or we'll look at who said these words first. These words are not original with Jesus, but he's actually quoting Scripture. It was David who originally said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the Psalms. This actually is a quotation of the Psalms, and specifically from Psalm 22. It records this, and it is the very first line. It's the very first verse of this Psalm, as it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then further it goes on to say, Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. So Jesus quotes scripture on the cross. We might ask, what's the significance? What's the significance that Jesus is quoting scripture on the cross? I believe to understand what Jesus is saying fully, one must consider all of Psalm 22 its full meaning. Not just taking, not just seeing it taken, just this one line, but we're to see it in the broad context of the whole entire psalm. And I believe this will give us a deeper meaning of what Jesus is saying. It will provide us help in deciding what Jesus was declaring on the cross. Did he really believe that God had left him for good? Did he still have trust in God? So this morning, we really don't have time to go into great depth, or even to look at this psalm fully. But what I'd like to do is just show you a few verses to show you uh, what this psalm, what the meaning of this psalm was in its entirety. And I believe, help us understand that this is not a psalm of David just crying out to God, accusing God, or even having a lack 
of trust in God. But Psalm 22 is a psalm that is about David, David feeling despaired. His despair was, was a reality. Yet despite this, he places his faith in God who has provided in the past. So look with me at Psalm 22 verses. We'll start with verses 1 through 2, and we'll, we'll make our th- way through just three passages to give us kind of this, this sense of what this psalm meant. So we first, see, we first see David cries out proclaiming his feeling of abandonment, as we already read. It says in Psalm 22, 1 through 2, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. So we see that, sure enough, David is in despair. He feels abandoned. But we see he continues in the very next verse. We see David continues in the psalm and considers what God had done for those who lived before him. As it says in Psalm 22, 3-5, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. So we see in these verses, it's important to see where he goes to next. He doesn't continue on accusing God or saying, why God? But he goes to God and he says, you know what? I'm going to consider what you had done in the past. And that is important. We move on and we actually see a, a good amount of verses later on. In Psalm twenty-two, nineteen through 21, we see David looks to the Lord for help. As it says in verse 19, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. You may help Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. So what we find here, as we consider all of Psalm 22, is a psalm in which David is feeling abandoned, but knows that the Lord is there with him, that he knows that the Lord will help him and will provide for him. And I believe that is all wrapped up in Jesus' saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is not declaring his abandonment by God, but he is further declaring, or he's not just declaring his abandonment by God, but he is further declaring his trust in him. Quoting Psalm 22, 1. And we, as we think about this, and I think this is why we should take this, this psalm in its entirety, Jesus could have went a lot of other places in Scripture. He could have quoted a lot of other Scripture, maybe from Lamentations, a a book of laments, of crying out to God with no answer. He could have even went to some other Psalms that are kind of somewhat accusatory towards uh, God. But he goes to Psalm 22 where we see this abandonment, but we see there's more to it. On top of this, if you read through all of Psalm 22, there are many connections and similarities with what goes on with Jesus and how he suffered on the cross. And if you're looking for something to study, Psalm 22 was a a neat study for me this week as I prepared, and I, I really would have loved to share all of the psalm with you to show you some of these connections and similarities. But if you're looking for something this week, especially as it's the Passion Week, as we approach Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and Easter Sunday, if you're looking for a passage just to reflect upon, to meditate upon, Psalm 22 is about 30, 31 verses, and it's pretty easy read-through, and you are able to get a a grasp 
of what Jesus is, is looking at here and also many connections to his suffering and his death. So I, I would encourage you to check out this psalm as you approach um, these special events this week. So in considering the meaning of this saying of Jesus on the cross, we have seen the context of Jesus' saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then we considered a surface-level meaning, looking at what it means to be forsaken and who Jesus is saying he's been forsook by. Then we considered if we should be surprised by such a saying from the mouth of the Son of God. And now we've seen the origin. We've seen where this, where this saying comes from. Now we'll put all of these pieces together. In considering the meaning of Jesus' saying, we will now put all we have seen together to lay out an understanding of this saying. And to, to do this, to put all of this together, we need to ask two guiding questions. So really thinking about and think back on what, we have, what we've just seen from these four points about the meaning. And let's put all of this together to understand exactly what Jesus is saying in his fourth saying on the cross. The first question or the first guiding question we have to ask is, was Jesus just feeling abandoned or did God really abandon him? Was he just feeling it or was there a real abandonment, a separation going on here? The answer to this is that Jesus saying God had forsaken him, Jesus is literally saying in that moment he was separated from God. Not just a feeling, but he was literally separated from God. Not because God didn't care about Jesus, but because of the sin. As we read in Mark 10, 45, the sin of Jesus' people had been laid upon him. It was because Jesus stood in place of sinful man and took their penalty, the wrath of God upon himself, and paid their punishment. Again, as Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says something similar when it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God the Father and God the Son were separated. The Son abandoned for a moment. What exactly was this separation? What all is entailed in this forsakenness? How can God the Father and God the Son be separated when they are one God? It's left a mystery. We're not, we're not explained there. The, the author, Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, doesn't then go on to explain exactly what this uh, separation totally entailed. But we are left to know that there was a true separation here because of the sin laid on Jesus. It's a mystery. The Scripture doesn't explain it, and I think ultimately our finite minds cannot understand it. It's like understanding how Jesus was both God, 100% God, and 100% man at one time. We just, our minds cannot fully grasp that. But what we can say, though, is that it was but for a moment. This separation did not last forever. It was just for a moment. The second guiding question we have to ask, which is in connection with the first question, is was Jesus in utter hopelessness? And had he given up on God when he said this saying? Or did he continue to trust in God? Was he in complete despair? Or was he continuing to trust in God? 
As we answered the first question, Jesus was not just feeling a separation, but he literally was separated from God for a period of time on the cross. But in so doing, we may be left to think that Jesus had lost his trust in God by saying what, we've, what we're looking at this morning. Consider what he says, my God, my God, why? Why? He's questioning. We might ask, is he accusing God? Is he completely hopeless by saying this? And I believe that this is why it's so important to see this quotation in light of all of Psalm 22. And that's why I took us to the origin of these, these words. That we are to see Jesus asking this in light of all of Psalm 22. Jesus is not completely hopeless. Or even in that moment thinking all is lost and had given up on God. No, I believe that this statement of being forsaken by God is saying this in light of the whole psalm in which David trusted in God. And I believe Jesus was continuing to trust in his Father, even though he was separated for a time. So we've spent a, really a considerable amount of time under, seeking to understand the meaning of what this small saying, but important saying of Jesus is. What the meaning is of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here's what, what he meant, simply put. Here is the clear and even beautiful picture that is presented by this saying. Jesus is truly declaring his separation from God the Father due to the sin and punishment of man being placed on his shoulders in that moment. But at the same time, this saying is one of trust and hope that God the Father would surely bring deliverance and victory for him. Even more simply put, possibly something that you can remember, more simply put, Jesus' fourth saying is one of abandonment by God and yet trusting God. Again, Jesus' fourth saying, very simply put, is one of abandonment God, by God and yet a trust in God. So we've spent a lot of time on the meaning of this phrase. Now I'd like to consider the second thing that we said in our theme that we were going to consider, and that's the implications. So the application of this saying, what does this saying mean for us? What does it teach? How should it impact our lives? I have two points of application. The first is this. The first point of application that I'd like to make is this. Jesus was separated from God, so we would never be again. Jesus was separated from God, so we would never be again. A very well-known Bible verse that many of you have memorized is John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This perishing is this separation from God for eternity. It's not just death and that's it, but it's a separation from God for eternity. In the Bible, even as this verse said that I just quoted from John 3.16, this phrase eternal life speaks of life with God forever. But have you ever considered what life is like for those who are not saved? That those who do not believe in God, they have eternal life too. That eternal life is in hell, separated from the Lord forever. Forever. That is what Jesus' death and separation from God on the cross gained for us who will and have believed. 
That's what Jesus' separation, his forsakenness has gained for us, that we would never be separated, that we would never be forsaken from God if we believe in him. May the saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, be a reminder of all that Jesus did on our behalf. May it cause the death of Jesus never to become something that we just use flippantly or we say without meaning, but may it be one of the most important events that we consider has ever happened in history. On top of this, we should view sin very differently. Remember, Jesus was separated because of our sin. Our sin was laid upon Jesus. He was separated from God because of our sin. And considering all Jesus went through to get us a life free from sin and the eternal consequences of it, we should hate sin. We should be motivated not to mess with sin. We should seek to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God due to all that Jesus had done on the cross. Jesus' death, and specifically his fourth saying on the cross, should be a motivation to a life of obedience to God. Jesus' death should be a motivation to live a life of obedience to God. So the first point of application is that Jesus was separated from God so that we would never be separated from him for those who believe. The second point of application is that Jesus' agony and suffering certainly were unique. They were unique as he was saving the whole world. But we too deal with agony and suffering. So it's unique in one sense, but at the same time, we suffer as Jesus suffered. In saying this, Jesus is an example for us in our suffering. Jesus suffered greatly on the cross and leading up to the cross, yet he did not fall into despair or hopelessness. Nor did he turn from God. And that can be an example to us, thinking about Jesus' reaction to his suffering. But he continued on trusting in God as we looked at the full context of Psalm 22 where this saying comes from. Jesus had confidence in God. He had confidence that they would be victorious over sin, death, and the devil. What an example for us in the midst of our suffering. As I said, Jesus' suffering is unique to an extent, as, as we most likely will never suffer on a cross to death as he did, nor will we suffer for the sin of man. That's something that only Jesus does, but we certainly can suffer in different ways. We can suffer as a Christian. We may be persecuted because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We may suffer in general with sickness or maybe with injury. Or maybe we're made fun of, or maybe we're betrayed by a friend. We can, be su- we can suffer in, in numerous ways. Maybe right now more than any other time, or at least recently, is a great time to consider suffering in the midst of the coronavirus. I want you to think, how has this affected you? And certainly you're thinking about that already. Maybe you've been laid off from your job, or maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've actually contracted the coronavirus, or maybe you know someone, a loved one, a friend, who's contracted it. Do you live in fear of getting the virus, or maybe giving it to a family member? Have your plans for the spring or the summer been been ruined because of the coronavirus? And I, I really don't say these things lightly. I feel for you with whatever effects the coronavirus has had. But I think our, our text, I think even further, the gospel, has something to say to how we live in the coronavirus. 
I believe Jesus, with his saying on the cross, should teach us how we should respond to suffering, how we should respond to us being affected by the coronavirus. We can respond to the coronavirus and the suffering we are experiencing due to it by not living in hopelessness, not living in despair, but calling out to God with trust and with faith in him, just as Jesus did. We might cry out something like, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust in you. I will seek to do your will in this uncertain and even scary time. The fact is, God has not abandoned us. If we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we have God with us at all times. He never leaves us or forsakes us, no matter what we're going through. No matter how lonely we feel in this time, God never leaves us. We may feel like we have been deserted by God because we do not see him working, but he certainly is working. And we have the scriptures to attest to that. So may Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? cause you to recommit your trust in the Lord in this time during the coronavirus. Second, as we just consider Jesus' suffering and what it has to tell us, second, in saying that Jesus suffered and so too we suffer, Jesus is an example of how he dealt with his suffering redemptively. Redemptively. And that's a big, even doctrinal word. But what I simply mean by that is that by Jesus' suffering, people were saved. By Jesus' suffering, people were saved. And by our suffering, people can be saved. Certainly not in the same sense as Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of his people. He was able to save souls. We certainly cannot, and we certainly know that we cannot save one person. But the truth is that God uses his people. He uses people like me and you to save people, to bring his word to them so that they can come to a saving knowledge of him. So what I'd like you to do is just think about your current situation in light of the coronavirus and how you're suffering, how you're dealing with the effects of it. And I'd like you to think, how can you be a witness to the people around you? How can you suffer redemptively in this time? Maybe it's the the few people you come in contact with, even your family member. Maybe it's the people you get to see at work if you're still working. Maybe it's even on the internet, through social media, as as we're getting many opportunities to use those things uh, today. How can you suffer redemptively in this time, just like Jesus did? So in closing, as we enter into the Passion Week, and specifically as we consider the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, I'd encourage you to contemplate with me all that can be learned from this one saying, Of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let us be praying for a renewed appreciation of the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.